Um, truly uh, good to sing with you, and thank you, worship team, for bringing those songs. I think uh, especially that last song kind of already said everything I want to say, so maybe I'll try and go quickly. Um, we're in First Peter this morning, and, and as you know, as we take each of these these books of the Bible in turn, we're asking the question, what is it that God is revealing about himself in, in this letter, in this, uh, in this love letter to us that will help us know him better? And, um, you know, I think every one of you provided a good illustration for what I want to say this morning already. Now, uh, some of you are watching on live stream, and, and I guess this doesn't apply to you, but those of you who are here in the building have already illustrated uh, my message. And how you did that is you were at home uh, at one point this morning, and home is where you're usually uh, most comfortable. I know some homes aren't like that, but, but that's kind of what the expectation, at least, or the hope, that home is where you're most comfortable. Home is where everything is where it should be, where you think it should be. Uh, home is where... Uh, you can kind of let your guard down and, um, and be your true self, at least that's how we think about it. But then at some point, you decided to leave. You, you put on your coat, or, or maybe you didn't, and you, and you got in your vehicle and you, came, and, and, you, and you left the house. You, in a sense, turned your back on your home. And the reason you did that is because you wanted to come to church. And church is the place where, where we, instead of everything being focused on you and how you want it, we seek to, to turn your focus towards something bigger, something better, something more glorious. And that is the, uh, the kingdom of God, the, the reign of Christ, and the, the, the claims that God has on our lives and the blessings that he has for you. And, and so you came to church, I hope, for that reason, to, to be together with other people as we seek to put our attention somewhere where there's greater hope than our own homes offer us. But before you got here, you weren't at home and you weren't at church. You were in between. You had not yet arrived. And so in First Peter, I'd put it like this. In First Peter, God says... My people live in between so their faith can grow. I'm just going to focus on the introduction, the first 12 verses of the book. Uh, And the reason for that is because in those first verses, Peter kind of outlines everything he's going to expand on throughout the rest of the letter. So if we can understand his introduction then you can read the rest of the letter and, and, and with the, the ideas, the themes, or the emphasis of the introduction in mind, you should be able to read and understand how all the, all the other points he makes in the letter uh, expand on or, or build upon or give greater understanding to these basic ideas that he has in the introduction. So let's get right into it. Uh, the first two verses to begin with. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance." So just to look at those words, um, 
I think it, it should become obvious as we, as we point out a few key words here that, that Peter, is, um, Peter is doing something very specific, I guess I could say. We, we know Peter. Peter is, uh, in, in a sense, the Jew of the Jews. He's the one who, who Jesus said to, you, you know, upon this rock I will build my church, and here he is still carrying out that role of setting the foundation. Uh, he, Peter is the one who, who walked on the water. Peter is the one who, who God brought the vision of the clean and unclean food to express to him specifically that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, were to be included in God's blessing and God's kingdom through the Holy Spirit and through the work of Jesus Christ. And Peter is the one who then later on kind of backtracked on that thing that God had made so clear to him and, and, and in Antioch refused to eat with the Gentiles. And then Paul came along and, and put him straight. And so, so Peter's this guy. And now uh, we're past the book of Acts and Peter's an old man. And he's, he's writing a letter. And we can see right here that it's meant to be, uh, it's meant to be a circular letter. It's meant to be distributed from church to church to church. And by the names of the places... It's being written to non-Jews. So here the, the essential Jewish leader of the early church is writing to those who are not of the descendants of Abraham. And they're now in the majority in the church. Early on, most of the Christians were from the synagogues and were, were, were either Jew or, or close to Jews. And, and, and now uh, that's t- started to change. And more and more Christians are, are not from the descendants of Abraham. And so he's writing to these people uh, in all these different churches, and um, he uses several key words that, that are, I think, essential to his message. He says that these people he's writing to are elect and chosen. Two different words, slightly different meanings, but I'm going to just put them together for the purposes of, of our thoughts this morning. Um, what do you think of biblically when you hear the word elect or chosen? Cast your mind back into the Old Testament stories. And I think the better question then, can you think of someone who was chosen, would be, can you think of someone who wasn't chosen? Abraham was chosen out of all the people to be God's special servant. Uh, Noah was chosen out of all the people to, to build the ark. Jacob and Esau, Esau was the one to carry the birthright and the promises of the family for, but God chose Jacob. Joseph, out of all his brothers, was chosen. David, King David, out of all of the people in his home and all the people of Israel, was chosen to be king. Can you think of someone who wasn't chosen, who wasn't elected from among the others by God to carry the blessing? And so now... um, you know, we, we, we extrapolate from those individual stories and we realize, particularly in the Exodus story, that it is the whole nation of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, that are the chosen ones of God. And Peter is saying, you, Gentile, non-Jewish Christian, that is us, you are God's elect. You have been chosen according to his foreknowledge. That choosing that God did throughout the whole Old Testament is now placed upon you uh, and effective towards you because of Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit. 
And, and if we read, uh, for example, in Isaiah chapter 41, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friends, I took you from the ends of the earth. From its farthest corners I called you. I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And Peter is saying to us, to the Gentile believers, this is speaking about you. You are the chosen. God's family has been enlarged. Not just the descendants of Abraham, but the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then the immediate follow-up to that in Peter's writing here is that God's elect exiles, scattered. And this word exile, um, again, it goes back into the Old Testament. We understand it. We understand it very well, but it creates a paradox in our minds. If I'm specifically chosen by God to receive the promises and inheritance that He has given me, then where does this exile come from? Where does this, where does this wandering, where does this suffering come from? And again, if we go back into the Old Testament stories, it should come as absolutely no surprise to us. What happened to Abraham? when he was chosen by God to receive the promise. He immediately became a wanderer. He immediately became a person who lived the rest of his life in tents, never in his own property, never in his own land, always with other, other kings and tribal leaders around him that he had to negotiate with and figure a way to live in the midst of a place where he did not belong. Think of... Uh, Think of, of Jacob when he, when he realized or received his promise, even though he did it through deceptive means. He immediately was on the run and lived most of his life as a foreigner in a different land, an exile. Think of Joseph. What a beautiful dream. What a, what a pick-me-up to f- find a message from God that says all your brothers that treat you badly all the time are going to one day bow to you, chosen by God. And what was the result of that choosing? Sold into slavery. Living a life many years in prison. An exile in a foreign land. It shouldn't come as a surprise that this is what comes next. Because the other phrase here is sprinkled with his blood. That again brings to mind immediately two images. One is the Passover. The first Passover. The judgment of God, the firstborn of all Egypt, would die. And only those who had the blood sprinkled on their doorposts did not receive that judgment. But immediately, after being chosen in that manner, after being specified as special by God, saved by God, they were cast into the wilderness in exile to wander in places they did not own with enemies on every side and dangers, and starvations, and rebellions. And then, um, we think also of the story of the exile when, when uh, God's people had been in the promised land, but refused to live according to God's way, 
refused to have him as their king and, and sought instead the, the kings of this world, the systems of this world. They were put in exile again. And, uh, and we, we, we don't have time to rehash all of those stories. But it should come as no surprise. Peter is specifically choosing these words to us who are not genetically the descendants of Abraham to tell us, you are the chosen ones. And the reason is because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit through the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ. And the result is exile. Repentance means to t- to you're going this way, you're living according to these priorities, and all of these things are, are, are the, the, these, uh, you know, the Bible calls them the flesh, the world, the devil, the principalities and powers are all in control of your life, and everything's organized, you know where everything is. And you catch a vision of something better, something eternal, something beautiful from God. And you turn from that and you aim your life now this way. And what that means is you're now in between because you haven't fully received this yet. But you've turned your back on that. And so now you're a wanderer, an exile. You've left home, but you haven't got to church yet. You're in between. That's Peter's message. My people live between so their faith can grow. And so as we read the next verses uh, from his introduction, he moves now from, from just greetings and stuff to, to kind of a, a song of praise. And he says, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade. And that's what I've just been trying to describe. He does it much better than I do. An inheritance kept in heaven for you. In other words, you're not there yet. But that's your home now. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice Though now for a little while you have had to suffer all kinds of trials. For these have come so that, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. I don't have time to go over all of that, but I want to point out some key words and phrases once again. If we start in verse 3, we start with this, this praising, this rejoicing. And of course, as we, if, we, if we understand the glories of what has been given to us, the, the fact that we are now the inheritors 
of the promises throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And we praise God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, for his great mercy. And um, if, we, if we look here, it says, he has given us new birth. Now that's what I just described. We were living this way, and now we're birthed into, into this way. It's a repentance. It's a, it's a renewing of our spirit to understand and long for the things of God where before we didn't. We've come alive to the realities, to the greater realities. And in this case, though it's described in detail here, and if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of, of repentance, in terms of joining this family, in, in, in terms of receiving these promises, it's all there in, in 1 Peter, uh, as I've just read to you, how that happens when we, when we uh, become uh, servants of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And this phrase he has given us new birth, is in the past tense. We were at home in this world, but now we've been born into a new birth, and this world is no longer our home. We turn our backs from it. We reject it. We're going to go a different way. We've left Egypt. And then the next phrase is, into a living hope, and that's present tense. Now, hope means something that's not yet fully realized. We hope for it, but it's alive. It's, it's real right now. This is our present tense. And then the next phrase is, into the inheritance that can never perish. And that's the future tense. That, that's where we haven't yet arrived. We, we've received some of these blessings, but we're still in the middle. We're still uh, hoping for the fullness of what will come. And in this context, where we have been given new birth, and we're living in hope, and we have not yet received the full inheritance, he says, we rejoice greatly in suffering of all kinds of trials. And I think that's where we so often get tripped up when we read First Peter and we, I mean, this is just a summary. He gets into it in greater detail later on in the, in the, in the letter. Uh, about the, the, the glory and the rejoicing because of suffering. And that seems, th- those two things just, just hit us wrong. We say, well, if there's this glorious hope, then, then why the suffering? And he describes it to, here, to us here in, in some detail. It is to prove our faith, to build our faith. Remember, remember in the Old Testament, the people had gone through that amazing experience of the Red Sea. They'd been saved from slavery. How many times did they say to Moses, if only we could have those leeks and onions from, from Egypt. If only we could go back and escape these sufferings. And they'd lost sight of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And the first time they came up, God brought them up to the border of the land and said, go in, I'll give the land to you. They didn't go in. Their faith wasn't strong enough. They had not yet learned to trust, and they could not receive what they hoped for. And years later, after many trials in the, in the wilderness, at Jericho, God said, go in and take the land. And they went in, in force, in faith. Their faith had to be built up. And in between 
There was many things. There was homelessness. There was exile. There was danger. There was miraculous food from heaven. There was water turned from bitter to sweet. There was shoes that didn't wear out for 40 years, but there was blistering heat, and there was enemies in the mountains that come down with armies. And in all of those things, they learned to have faith. In all of their wanderings, they learned to have faith. Their faith grew. It became proven and trustworthy. And only then were they ready to receive what God had promised. This is the story. This is the story we're in. As followers of Jesus, we've decided to leave home. We've decided that the principalities and powers, the structures of this world, will no longer control us. But we will say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your will be done on earth in my life as it is in heaven. So we're looking now to, to the kingdom that comes to give us our priorities and our values and our decision making. But just like the children of Israel in, in, in their wanderings in the desert, we, we so often say, I, I just want a little bit of what I used to have. You see, in Egypt, everything had its place. Maybe it wasn't the best life, but I knew exactly where I fit. I knew exactly what I was going to have for supper, even though it was the same thing every night. I knew exactly what I had to do to avoid the whip. I knew exactly that, that, that despite their oppressions, Pharaoh's armies were going to protect me from invading uh, barbarians from around. And I want that. I want that security. I want that familiarity. I'm used to those things. I know how they work. And I don't know what your safety place that, that you go back to is but but they did it again and well, they never actually went back they were on the journey god would not let them go but they longed for the old place despite its troubles because exile's uncomfortable you don't know when an enemy is going to come out you don't know when the snakes are going to come you don't know when you'll get your next drink of water it's uncomfortable but it's the path of faith It's consistent throughout Scripture. This is the path of faith. We're not yet in the place where God is 100% in control in our lives. We long for it. We've been born again. That's where our true heart's home is. And so we journey in between. It's the sufferings that purify us because we're still hanging on to Egypt. It's the sufferings that teach us that God is in control. And even though the situation looks terrible, He does change the water from bitter to sweet before we die. Even though the battle seems seems insurmountable, as long as Moses' hands are up in prayer, we win. And when he loses faith and drops his hands, we lose. And we need to learn those postures. We need to learn those ways of being in the world that honor God. I want to 
I want to take it a little bit personal in application, and I don't know if this will help you, but I'll, I'll share a little bit about where I'm at in the wilderness. It's not a particularly comfortable place, to be honest with you, and, and, and I'm afraid to say it because I, I'm in the middle. I feel turned upside down, and I expect that in, a, in, in another week or two, if I told you the same thing, it would probably be something entirely different because I don't know which way's up and down in this thing I'm about to share. So, so don't hold me to these words. I'm just sharing with you a little bit of the wilderness in my life. Do you remember when I preached a sermon about plagues? And I said that plagues come from God and are designed to bring about repentance in our lives. Some of you remember that. Some of you weren't here. Go back in our online sermon archives if you want to hear what that's all about. Plagues come from God and their purpose is to cause us to repent. And I believed that then, I still believe that now, but I can be honest with you and say that at that time it was theoretical for me. I could easily point at other people that needed to repent, but I did not know what this plague, what God was trying to teach me to repent of in this plague. So I guess it needed to be longer than I expected, because a year and a half in, it's becoming very clear to me that I have put my trust, I, I never saw this before because I, I, I thought about it and thought that, that I was free of this, but it has become clear to me that I put my trust in governments and science and experts and media to save me. It has become clear to me based on the fact that I spend way too much time looking up different scientists to figure out which ones I agree with and which ones I disagree with, and I'm not even a scientist instead of praying. I spend way too much time on, on the, with, with the news or, or, or focused on, on getting the outcomes I want in government policy, in elections, instead of in prayer, instead of in God's Word, instead of in repentance. And God has shown me my idolatry putting my trust in something other than God. Now, I can't explain that in full. Uh, I don't have time here, and I don't understand it well enough myself. I'm in the storm. I'm in the middle. It's going to sort out. I have complete trust in God that it's going to sort out, that, that I'll, I'll find a way, that he, not, not that I'll find, that put, puts too much uh, benefit on myself, that God will lead me to a place where I trust Him completely for these things instead of put my trust somewhere else. So I don't know, I don't know where you're at. Tell yourself your own story. And, and, and not about, about our current situation. I don't know where you're at or what you're struggling with. But I can assure you of this. The things that you experience as sufferings and trials are exactly the things that God in His wisdom knows you need in order to purify your faith so that you no longer look to Egypt for your sustenance and you look wholly and completely to Jesus Christ and His kingdom. They may be painful. They may be hard. They may be things you pray every day that they would leave your life but they are exactly the things required to build your faith.
And so Peter says, you'll read it later on in his letter when you get there, we rejoice in suffering. We thank God for the trials because we know that they are purifying our hearts from their attachment to the things of this world so that we become attached only to the things of God. And I I liken it like this. Here's where I am. So this is my confession. Remember the story. Again, we're going to just stick in, we're going to stick in the exile here for for a minute. Remember the story where the the people were, were, um, they they were longing once again for Egypt. And they were, they were telling Moses, we're so sick and tired of this manna, this amazing, miraculous food that drops out of heaven every day and gives us all the nutrients and vitamins we need to be healthy and vigorous and win against our enemies and have no disease in our camp for the last 40 years. And we're sick of it. We want to go back to Egypt where we can have more variety in our diet. We want to go back home. We haven't yet tasted this so-called milk and honey in the promised land. And God sent snakes into the camp. And the snakes started biting the people. And they were dying. And they were in their tents, sick and suffering. And God directed Moses to put up a cross with a serpent on it. And say, if you repent of your rebellion and look at this cross, you'll be healed, you won't die. And so, I'm in my tent, and I realize I've let the pleasures of this world distract me from the things of God. I've let the ways of getting my way in this world distract me from the kingdom. I've been bitten by a snake. And so I've, I've, I've in my suffering state, crawled out of my tent in search of this cross to look at in faith someone else's tent is in the way I can't see it yet I'm going to have to crawl a bit further to the place where I get a clear vision of the cross and that's where I'm at in the wilderness not yet in heaven but having left my home having given up my commitments to the ways and means of this world And Peter, God says, my people live in between so their faith can grow. And so we we receive this, this place that's so consistent through Scripture of those who God chooses become wanderers, become exiles, become uncomfortable in this world, but we have not yet arrived in the other place. And so we fight our enemies and we seek faith. Sometimes we build a golden calf and bow down for a while. And then we're corrected by God's love and we continue on the path. And along the way, every single day, he sends just enough manna to get us through to the next day. And so we rejoice with Peter. Because we long for a better place and we know that God is training us and teaching us and bringing us there.